Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Good morning. My name is Dustin Davis, and today's scripture comes from Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. During a series on friendships that support, nurture, and encourage us through the church, I couldn't help but think of another series about friends. It was called Friends. And because I was a young adult at the time, I did as so many other young adults did and watched the show somewhat faithfully. I didn't start watching when the show started, but I did pick it up eventually and stay with it to the end. And I don't hold many strong opinions about television shows, but there was a storyline where they were trying to make something romantic happen between Rachel and Joey, and it seemed like they were just trying to kill the time until they could finally get to the finale and make their money. Regardless, I digress. With this series... I started wondering what it might be like to share today's story if it received a bit of the Friends theme treatment. I don't have time to uh, attempt to contact the Rembrandts who composed the iconic Friends theme, so instead I, I offer you my own rendition, the Rembrandts version, if you will, of how the Friends theme might sound if it were about Job and his friends. I caution you, it's not great, but here it is. gonna be this way despite your faithfulness your blessings stripped away it's just like satan ripped your life to shreds when you lost all your livestock and your crop your children are dead but you still have your wife I'll be honest, I'm not sure I would watch that show, but that is exactly what happened to Job. He was blameless before God, faithful in his actions, his thoughts, and even in what he saw. He offered sacrifice to God for his own acts of repentance and offered sacrifice on behalf of his kids in case they sinned in ways that they hadn't acknowledged and they needed some extra coverage. And we see that the accuser, which is how we translate Hasatan or Satan from Hebrew, was a part of God's heavenly counsel at the time and wanted to show that humanity's faithfulness to God was purely conditional. Job, the accuser argued, was only loyal to God because God so richly blessed him. Take away Job's blessing, Satan argued, and you can bet that Job would turn on God. 
and through one of the most troubling exchanges in all of Scripture for me, God permitted that challenge to go forward. In a very quick turn of events, Job tragically lost all of his children to death, his livestock, his livelihood, his crops, all wiped out. Then he was afflicted with a terrible, probably really gross-looking skin disease. It was certainly uncomfortable, and it had seeping boils. If you're looking for a Halloween costume this year, that would fit the bill. But good news, Job's wife was still around. The trouble is, she wasn't quite as keen on God after all they experienced. So when she witnessed Job's continued loyalty, as he said things like, Naked I entered into the world, and naked I shall return. And the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. And should we only accept good things from God's hand, but never hardship, Job's wife asked him, Why don't you curse God and die? So maybe the accuser knew that she would be more of a challenge to Job's faith than an encouragement at the time. Perhaps her cynical and contrarian nature helped to save her life. Who knows? But we do know this. Job had nearly everything good taken from him by the time his friends showed up to the pile of ashes in which Job sat. That takes us straight to our first lesson this morning. Friends remind us that we are not alone. Friends remind us that we are not alone. When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite. I've conducted eight funerals since this pandemic began. Death is always heartbreaking, but it's taken an exceptional toll on people lately. In our culture, it feels like we already deal very poorly with grief and mortality. We put a very arbitrary timeline on our mourning, and we try and figure out how long it's okay for us to be sad. We basically, we attribute a sadness that doesn't fit our arbitrary timelines to weakness or a lack of grit. All of that started out not so helpful. But now... One of the most helpful things that people experience during loss is the caring presence of loved ones. For some, that means a cacophony of sound and sharing memories that bring laughter. For others, it looks and feels more like silence, holding a hand and sharing some tears. In just about every case, it looks like casseroles and comfort foods provided with love by a caring face. Many who have gone down a similar road at some point, and they know just how lonely the experience of loss can be. But now, now we know that those types of comforts exist, but they feel so distant from us. It's like a hungry person standing in the cold outside a restaurant, peering through the glass at the type of warmth and nourishment that's available just on the other side of this barrier, but we cannot get to it. We've got... All Saints Sunday coming up on November 1st, and we're just going to spend some time that weekend trying to find a bit of the hope and healing that God makes available to us. I think it's worthwhile because this season has brought with it a lot of grief, and we haven't had the opportunity to fully deal with much of it. I pray that the service will be a helpful step, whether you've lost a loved one or you've lost a job or a wedding date or a special visit with family and friends. That can all cause us to grieve. The people of Job's time had this powerful practice of loving presence that referred to sometimes today as sitting Shiva. Sitting is sitting, but Shiva translates as seven. And then the practice, someone who has lost a loved one, 
will simply sit for seven days, starting right after the funeral, doing nothing but tending to the physical needs and allowing themselves to grieve and remember. During that time, very close relatives and very close friends will come along and join with them to care for the person's needs and to be a consoling presence and share memories or just to provide a shoulder. It's a powerful act of comfort. Greeting people in a long line at a visitation that lasts an hour isn't bad, but it's really more of a reflection on our efforts to hurry up our hurts so that we don't have to feel them for longer than is absolutely necessary. But there's such a loneliness that can come with loss. As much as we try to avoid that sense of isolation, for many, it is just inescapable. Our efforts to counter that may not look like sitting Shiva. Maybe we don't sit with someone in their home for a straight week, but my hope is that you've had the opportunity to meet some people in the congregation who have extended to you care. People who have been there for you in a time of need. The church doesn't really get to play friendship matchmaker, but it is a great opportunity for getting to know other people who are putting themselves out there to be known and to know others as well. It takes some vulnerability, and not everybody is going to get there quickly. But those connections are worth it, because if you have a spirit-level connection with others, that's, there is a part of your friend who is with you even when you are distant. With that spirit-level connection with another, more importantly, Something of God lives within us, reminding us that we are not alone. I see that in our visitation ministry as they continue to reach out and check in with our homebound people. I see it in the card ministry that remembers people on their special days. I see it in the personal touches put into the children and family ministry materials. They go out directly to our children. I see it in groups that have figured out how to meet, even if it's virtually during this time, so they can maintain some connections. I've seen it in people who maybe they don't have a a job at the church or a specific volunteer responsibility, but feel called to reach out and contact someone that God has placed on their hearts. It's not always easy. Reaching out and caring for somebody takes time. It makes us vulnerable, and many times it confronts us with things in our own lives that need sorting out, but that's not all bad. That's a good thing when we know we can lean on the grace of God, and especially when we can trust that there are others that God has placed in our lives who will be there for us in our times of need. That leads to our second lesson. God's kind of friendship journeys with others through joy and pain. God's kind of friendship journeys with others through joy and pain. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust in the air over their heads to show their grief. And then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. One day many years ago at our annual conference in Peoria, Illinois, I was present to learn about my very first appointment as a pastor in our conference. I'd been hearing from my wife, Amy, throughout the day that she was showing some troubling signs related to a pregnancy that we had just learned about a few weeks earlier. As the day went on, the signs got worse, and I finally learned of our appointment in a process that seemed to take forever that day, and afterwards I rushed home and took Amy to the hospital. And our fears were realized. Though she had not been pregnant for long, that didn't seem to matter at all to our hearts, which broke with the news. It was an absolutely overwhelming day. 
We learned of our first appointment, which would typically be a matter of excitement, but the loss of a pregnancy and the knowledge that we would be moving away from the home and the church that meant so very much to us was more than we knew how to handle. That following Sunday in worship during a time that was set aside for people to come and pray at the prayer rail, Amy and I went forward once again, as we had many times before, to hand our anxious, excited, and hurting hearts over to God. And as we were there at the rail, I felt hands on my shoulders. Though my eyes were closed, there was an image in my mind of a whole church coming behind us, wave after wave of prayerful support, lifting us before the presence of the Lord. And in reality, it could have just been one person, but in my spirit, I felt like a whole church picked us up and lifted us heavenward in our excitement, in our sorrow, and in our confusion. Before I was a person of faith, I imagined all forms of religion and spirituality to be basically the same. Man-made efforts of earning favor of some sort of deity contrived by people who leveraged their storytelling abilities to manipulate a gullible population. I could hold on to that very cynical understanding for a long time, and I hadn't witnessed a whole lot that would counter that. But when I really started studying the Bible, this is what I saw in Jesus. One who heard the mourning cries of the people he loved so much that he tore his regal garments of heaven's comforts, so he could come and sit in the dust and ashes with us in our sorrow and in our grief. A mighty God who did not ask us to earn his favor, but someone who showed love by humbly coming near and through his loving presence could introduce healing to our broken and sin-sick hearts. Jesus joined with the people of this world in celebrating festivals and weddings and in the finding of what was lost. Jesus grieved and stood with people of the world through injustices, oppressions, hardship, and the death that each of us face. Whether we were on the mountaintops or valleys or every plain in between, Jesus journeyed with humanity in human form. And through the Holy Spirit, that same compassionate God journeys with us today. This is not a far-off God who set the world into motion and watches from a distance. This is a God who is as near to us as a loving parent. Our best friend, a God who will suffer with us and has suffered for us, a Savior who, according to the prophet Isaiah, was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief, a high priest who, according to the author of Hebrews, understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings we do, and yet he did not sin. Jesus is in the stuff with us. And because he is Savior, as well as our example, we get into the dust and ash with other people, too. We rend our garments and sacrifice a bit of our comfort and propriety so that those who are afflicted can experience the comfort, we hope, of Christ as we try to embody God's care in the situations that they face through our loving presence. Our third lesson this morning is this. When we short-circuit compassion, we compound the hurt. When we short-circuit compassion, we compound the hurt. So these friends were doing a great job at extending comfort. That is, until they started talking. And shortly thereafter, in Job chapter 4, we hear Eliphaz the Temanite replying to Job, Will you be patient and let me say a word? For who could keep from speaking out? 
Stop and think. Do the innocent die? When have the upright been destroyed? My experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. A breath from God destroys them. They vanish in the blast of his anger. What is Eliphaz doing here? He's basically telling Job, this has to be your fault. God doesn't punish you unless you've done something wrong. If you hadn't done something wrong, God wouldn't be judging you like this. You've planted seeds of destruction. This is what you harvest. In some way, Job, you deserve this. And God finally just turned loose. Now, we'll give Eliphaz the benefit of the doubt since he wasn't in that heavenly council where God and the accuser were going on about Job's unmatched faithfulness. But this friend's attempts at helpful guidance remind me of people who see violence against unarmed people on television and without spending a moment of human compassion, they jump quickly to assuming that the person must have somehow been a criminal or had an immoral past that somehow makes it okay that they've been killed. Trying to find blame or justification for tragedies is a mental and emotional coping mechanism for many of us. We build up rules and systems in our heads where bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. And we're good people, not bad people. So the person who had the bad thing happen had to be bad. They did something wrong. And so we look in our rule book and we find something that they've done that we don't. And that's probably what caused them to face tragedy. That all holds up pretty well until tragedy strikes our lives. And then the cognitive acrobatics we'll go through to make that rule book untrue for us is probably worthy of Olympic medals. The book of Job is included in our scriptures in part to remind us that bad things happen. Take the dare with Satan out of the equation. Tragedies and sorrows will happen. Even to one God declares blameless has nothing to do with deserving in so many cases. It has to do with our tender human hearts struggling with the finite nature of this life, with mortality and meaning. And our rule books, our blaming, our justifications, can help us make temporary sense of other people's misfortunes, but they don't do a great job at getting us through our own trials. Compassion does. Empathy does. God's healing presence does. Throughout the book of Job, this man who lost so much and who suffered so much, and whose own friends tried to convince him through proverbs of ashes, they're called, platitudes that sound like wisdom, but they don't bring life. These friends try to convince Job that he himself was to blame for all his pain. All the while, Job trusted that the God of justice might appear and set things right. That God would show up and answer his questions or defend his integrity. That God would show up and do something. And God did. We read in Job chapter 42, verse 7, that after the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me, as my servant Job has. This passage has God shutting down Eliphaz and the bad things happen to bad things rule book. His friends' hardships are God's punishment platitudes. The accusations against the just nature of God, the Lord showed up and shut all that down. Listen to this very important part of Job's story. When God showed up, he didn't do a great job at answering Job's questions or coming to Job's defense. 
Job had a hard time not focusing on his problems and his integrity. But in the very act of showing up and in his response, God shifted Job's focus to what God is able to do and who God is. And that drew Job's eyes up from the ashes and redirected his heart towards hope. Because compassion is wonderful. Empathy is beautiful. But all of that should point us to the wonderful, caring nature of God and what God can do. It's not a race to get through it. We don't hurry through pain. But we're also not designed to remain in the ashes forever. God created us for a life that is full, abundant, and eternal. Compassion helps us to find our footing on hopeful ground again. That's who we get to be for one another. Because that's the kind of friend that Jesus is for us. Not heaping blame, but pouring out grace upon grace. Holding our hands and escorting us towards hope. Sitting with us here in the ashes and walking us into healing. I've heard many stories of your compassion for one another during this season. I truly hope you've experienced the presence of God through your friendships here at St. John's. I pray that Compassion sees us through our joys and sorrows. I trust that even if we don't see the answers to all our questions in this life, God will allow us to experience the goodness and love of a Savior who draws our eyes and our lives into eternity. Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord, you show us remarkable compassion to Imagine Jesus stepping down from the splendor of heaven to join with us in suffering and hardship and strife and sorrow so that we would be able to see what love looked like walking perfectly alongside of us. God, we are so grateful. So grateful that you don't stand off and heap blame on us, that you don't put shame and guilt upon us when our lives are tender and hurting, but instead you show us mercy. You plant hope in the human heart and you give us the promise of eternity, a kingdom that in the life that's to come is free from sorrow and brokenness and pain and in this life continues to grow as our lives are transformed into more just and hopeful people. God, let us reflect that character of Christ. Let us be there for one another and stop and give you thanks for those who have been there for us. Lord, we're grateful for your church, for the body of Christ that provides us those opportunities. You've connected us by your Holy Spirit. You've encouraged us by your grace. We thank you for all of this. It's a gift from your good hand. We thank you for your presence for who you are. All in the powerful name of Christ our Lord. Amen.